We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Serial on March 28, 1980. It was written by Rich Eustace and Michael Elias, based on a novel by Sarah McFadden, or Kyra McFadden, directed by Bill Persky and released by Paramount Pictures. Um, I'm sure you've heard people talk about the Serial podcast, this is it. This is the one that people have been talking about. And, uh... Don't lie. I hope it's Don't as good as listeners. everyone told you it was. Because this is it. They're gonna lose It's not to be us. confused with the Serial with a C podcast. Yeah. This is, uh... This movie made me very angry. Yeah. I was, I was very angry I'm, watching this movie. I'm really surprised at how angry you were. Because you watched it before I did. And you were like, Jess is not gonna make it through this movie. And I, I was... I was kind of okay with it. I think oh. you you hyped it down enough. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, not enough. <laughs> not enough. Never enough. <laughs> uh, making of notes, Christopher Lee indicated in his autobiography that this film was very special to him as he was cast against type and using an American accent for the first time. So the film opens uh, with some wide shots of uh, Marin County, and we move to the, uh, it's like the uh, be- uh, doorway off the bedroom of this married couple waking up in the morning um and we have martin mull and uh, his wife here and harvey is martin mull's character and immediately he without waking her up tries to have sex with his wife kate and she's not into it yeah (laughs) she wakes up during the attempt and tells him we have to talk about this relationship and then he mugs for the camera and says goodbye hard on (laughs) and wanders out of the room a friend of Harvey, Sam, is waking up at the same time, morning, obviously, in another bedroom in uh, Marin County, and goes to the bathroom to freshen up. He washes his face, he splashes himself with all sorts of products, but by the time he gets back to the bedroom, his wife Angela is gone, and the bed is completely made. We move to another house, where Martha and her fiancé, Bill, are acting out pages from the Kama Sutra. Back in Harvey's home, uh, their daughter Joni is asking for the van, uh, they're having breakfast on this patio area, and she's like, "Oh, I want to borrow the van because my boyfriend doesn't want to get sand in his Porsche." And and she calls him Harvey. Uh, right. I, guess, I guess we should we should preempt this movie where th- this movie is making fun of every possible stereotype of being in San Francisco. Right. It's so a- so like the daughter calls her father by her first his, his first name. Yeah. Um, it's all about like new age and freedom and rights and. In this particular scene, Harvey is very angry about eating granola. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a thing, you know, making fun of having to eat granola and eat healthy and stuff like that. Um, I should mention, uh, I probably should have mentioned up front that uh, Sarah McFadden, who wrote the material that the script was based on, um, originally it was a a column that was being published uh, in, like, the greater San Francisco area that was later adapted into a novel that was then adapted into this screenplay. But it was supposed to be like a bunch of vignettes on like satires about San Francisco families and like the yuppie lifestyle. 
Um, yeah, I'm just surprised that it made it through all those iterations because I wouldn't have bothered to read that article. I wouldn't have read that novel and I wouldn't bother to watch it as a yeah. movie. I think the people who <laughs> laugh the hardest at jokes about yuppies are yuppies in the first place. And so that's why they, the articles were very popular and there was such an audience for it there in San Francisco that they were like, everyone must love this. And that's why no, you haven't heard of it, listener, until we brought it up. But yeah, so we're back on that patio where they, uh, they're they just finishing up their breakfast. Harvey hates granola. He tries to feed it to the dog, and hilarious joke, the dog doesn't want it either. Um, and and giving, giving her all this guff about not being able to borrow the car, he, in fact, does not even use it because right. he rides his bike to work. Yeah. I just think that it's funny that they have all these sort of standalone, you know, little tidbits about you know like just the fact that he rides his bike to work should make you like really angry and the fact that his wife tries to make him eat granola should make you really angry and like there's nothing outward obviously bad about any of these things it's not like oh you ride your bike to work and he got you know hit by a car or anything yeah the like movie that. wants you to know the they're movie, bad the movie just wants you to think that these are bad without any you know prompting whatsoever yeah. you should be driving a big american car what kind of an idiot rides a bike Okay, Schwinn fucking Armstrong, who asked you to drive a bike? It's from 40-Year-Old Virgin. When he's writing to work, we're getting the theme song of the movie. It's a changing world we're living in. It's funny because at the same time as like this is supposed to be mocking like, oh God, everything's changing and for the worse, the, the voice of the song is like, but it's still fun. Like, <laughs> don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Like trying to calm Martin Maldon as he rides his bike to work. Uh, Stokely is Martha's son. She was the Kama Sutra woman earlier. And uh, he is sitting eating breakfast across from Maria, their housekeeper, and begging her to flash him. And after a while, she finally does it. And then says, now what are you going to do? And he yeah. says, I don't know. I've never gotten I was like, far. what? What does that imply? What do you yeah. expect him to do? How much more is on the menu here? <laughs> I was like, what is happening in this movie already? Yeah, this kid is nine, maybe. Right. I don't know, ten. But by the time she turns around and flashes him, the mom has already left the room. So either this kid, after this, went and told his mom what happened, or the housekeeper did. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of which makes a lot of sense to me. Another character, Carol, we get uh, out at a shopping center and she's tricking a bag boy into her van. She's pretending yeah. she needs help and then tries to rape him in the van yeah. immediately. <laughs> it's like I'm all. Yeah. This is what I, this is when I sent you a message. Like I'm like seven minutes in and there's already been like child sexual abuse and uh, an attempted rape. Yeah, two attempted rapes technically, and uh, and all of this is being played off like a <laughs> wacky sex crazed yeah. Marin County residents. Get ready for this cast of characters. Um, it's Leonard, a changing world. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Leonard uh, gets to work. Leonard is a psychologist, which is like and, the end-all be-all of yuppie culture. Yeah, and he's easily like of the villain of the story. Right. Oh, yeah. Although he's not, to my taste, he's not played up as enough of a villain considering yeah. what well, happens. But that's how they play all of these things that were supposed to be outraged. You know, the granola is outrageous, the bike's outrageous, and he's a psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. no. But, and then immediately does cocaine when he gets into his office. Right. And that's supposed to be like, a, oh, my God, that's so crazy. They do cocaine. And it's like, yeah, San Francisco in 1980. Like, it's a little pick-me-up to start your day. The housekeeper was doing cocaine. <laughs> but, yeah, he gets into work. Harvey, as he's pulling into a parking lot, his bike chain breaks. 
And uh, he sees Sam arriving at the same time and asks if he can throw his bike in the guy's trunk. Another 40-year-old virgin reference. Hope you got a big enough trunk because I'm putting my bike in it. But he just happens to drive like a boat of a car that has a huge trunk that fits the whole bike. Mm -hmm. And the two of them together get on the Harbor Emperor. They seem to be... They don't work at the same place, but they're friends because they ride the ferry together. Right yeah, there. yeah. Like they're... Uh, it's... I guess like they're just always used to getting there at the same time. Right. And this is... Uh, the, the Harbor Emperor is... I think right now it's the boat that goes back and forth to Alcatraz Island. Okay. But... um. I don't think either of these gentlemen works at Alcatraz, so <laughs> probably not the case at the time. Uh, it has a big statue of Emperor Norton on the front of it, which is a favorite uh, historical figure of mine. Yeah. But it's also the fairy that they used in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh. When he's uh, trying to steal the lab back from yeah, the yeah. Goggins character. Angela is in her backyard now and yelling at some people that told her they could build a hot tub uh, in a short amount of time before a wedding reception that's supposed to be happening. And they said, oh, yeah, well, you know, the schedule changed. So unless you have more money, it's right. not going to be ready in time. They're just chilling out in the hot tub, like smoking pot. Yeah, smoking mm-hmm. a joint and not trying to hide it at all, offering it to her as she's lecturing them. It's San Francisco. It's just nutty. Yeah. But they also know that all these people have so much money that they don't know what to do with that they're like, I'll just throw another number at her and she'll pay it to us right yeah. now. So. Yeah, he extorts $200 from her. Yeah. Back on the ferry... Sam and Harvey are complaining about their sexless marriages. At the end of the boat, two separate, completely separate characters, Bill and Fred Peel, Bill was who we saw earlier doing the Kama Sutra stuff with Martha, are discussing his new fiance. That's the person who's getting married that we're going to be at a reception for later. And he mentions his fiance's name, and Fred doesn't recognize the name. And he says, oh, she used to be this name, and she used to be this name. And finally, he goes back far enough that he gets to that guy's name. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's, that was my ex-wife. And he's like, oh, that's right. You were her first husband. He's like, I think I was her second. So it turns out that Bill is going to be the, I think, the sixth husband for right. Martha, which is another, like, you know, typical yuppie situation where they're all free love. And it's yuppies sounds like hippies on purpose. Um, and she's been married a bunch of times and just well, kind of floats around. That's like the definition of a yuppie, though, right? It's just a, it's just, right. it, it's just a hippie that's grown up and now makes a lot of money. Right. right. It's yeah. a hippie that has a job. Yeah, they 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 essentially realize that that the hippie lifestyle doesn't pay the bills, and they while they try to maintain some ideals, they they realize that they have to have a normal nine to five life and try to make that work. And that juxtaposition was supposed to be funny enough to power make this entire movie. film. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Martha has an appointment with Leonard, the psychologist, and uh, she tells him right away. Uh, what happened this morning with Stokely and the maid and she says that I basically I had to fire her because um, you know she flashed my son at the breakfast table and then he uses a bunch of psych psych mumbo jumbo you are reaffirming her selfhood without denying your own power perimeters exactly good girl now as far as Stokely's concerned it's just a question of putting him in touch with his childhood then he he says and you're also protecting his youth and talks to, to the kid and Stokely on the couch is just like I'm only 10 years old, you dork. And then, the, the I think the joke here is supposed to be that he's losing his temper on the kid because he grabs mm. his arm and, like, yanks him into the room to begin their session. But, uh, yeah, that's that's how funny that scene was. A lot of these scenes don't end. Like, the scene, it cuts away to something else. Yeah. But there's no closure to the scene. 
it just stops because they want you to be stops. distracted by what's happening next and not care that much about what just happened well i think that the problem is that most of these scenes don't have a point in the first place so right. there's no closure to a scene that didn't need to be there because this movie isn't about anything like literally the whole point of that scene was to hear a psychologist say a bunch of like meaningless psychological phrases to describe a standard interaction right. between two adults. All of these scenes are just supposed to be funny for the sake of that they're, oh, this is so kooky and wacky. It's yeah. funny. Harvey is hiring a secretary. A woman comes in who is not qualified for the position. Well, uh, she's qualified. She's wearing a low-cut shirt. Right, <laughs> and she keeps leaning over his desk to, to show what she has to offer. Martha hires a new maid. <sighs> she just kind of picks this woman up at a bus stop. She doesn't even know which person is there for her, but yeah. she's... She just picks up a random woman who she told to meet her at the bus stop and she gets in the car and right away Martha's like critical of her appearance. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I don't approve of the uniform. And she's like, oh, well, it's a pretty standard housekeeping uniform. And she's like, yeah, but I, I don't I don't like uniforms in general. I like for things to be casual. And she's like, oh, so you want me to look like I'm just your friend that's cleaning your house for no reason. And she's like, OK, so you get it. Not, not just not just that, but her black friend. Right. Exactly. Up. That's true. That is important to the point that's being made here. They get back to her house where they're having a, a consciousness group, uh, which is just code for uh, wine lunch. Yeah. And um, and there was like, did you notice like the weird split diopter shots that they were doing in this? No, I didn't. I was like, whoa. Uh, it, was, it was it was very clear because you can see the dividing line between the, 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 the where it goes out of focus in between the two frames. That doesn't but seem necessary for this scene. It does not seem necessary. Because they're all so close together. They're so close together. They can all be in focus. But they did this really crazy split diopter shot. And I was like, that's okay. All right. I mean, there it is. It's like, was your lens broken? And you yeah, like, I, I, couldn't get everyone in focus? So you just shot it twice and then <laughs> cut them together? That is weird. Now the, the new maid comes in and they're trying to act like, like oh, you know, this is we're my... We're just friends. We're, we're just friends. Um, and, uh, when she starts to bring up where she needs to know where cleaning supplies is, she goes, no, just, just come and join us. Uh, and then they start asking her questions about being black. They're very condescending to her. Yeah. And, and this is, and, but the first thing they're asking about is cause they're trying to condescend to her like, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't know our culture. She doesn't know that mm-hmm. we're very open about like our sex lives and that, uh, you know, we're we're we care more about ourselves and and getting what we want out of a relationship. And it turns out that this woman is getting everything she needs out of her relationship. Yeah. And following their lead, basically dumps on them like, oh yeah, no, we we have sex whenever we want to. And I had seven orgasms last night. And yeah. The whole room is like, oh what? Like you're you're better at this than we are. Uh, can you can you tell us if the rumor is true that that uh, black men are are larger? And she says, I don't know, I've only ever slept with Wong. Because they just assumed that her husband was a black guy. But mm-hmm. I am assuming, based on his last name and his appearance later in the film, that Wong is an Asian gentleman. And is that his first name? Or his last name? She just calls him Wong. Maybe that's maybe it's a one-name deal. But we cut to the hippie wedding from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Wong is already at. Uh, she's already invited uh, her Rachel is the the new housekeeper and Wong Martha and Bill have their hippie wedding which is being officiated by Spike played by uh, one of the Smothers brothers yeah that was another weird like I was like he's fun though in this Uh, I thought he was less annoying than a lot of the people but 
they basically are invited to uh, read their own vows. And uh, the guy says his vows. And then when he turns to Martha to say her vows, or she goes first. Yeah. And she says, Eunice. And you hear someone in the audience go, Eunice? And then she <laughs> says, Minus. And then the person goes, oh. <laughs> Which made me laugh. Eunice. Eunice. Minus. Oh. Usness. Weenus. Uh, that like the same person was like, is there someone here that I don't know? Like what is happening? <laughs> Usness. Weenus. <laughs> and uh, she just keeps saying a bunch of weird made up words. And then the, Bill's half of the vows is like, I'm an asshole and that's great. And everyone could just deal with me being an asshole. And then Bill and Martha and the, the person officiating this wedding, Spike, all do a three-way kiss. <laughs> and uh, And they kind of break up. And everyone starts walking back to their cars when suddenly a gay motorcycle gang attacks. Yeah. <laughs> Who are they? Weekend freaks. Now they're gay. Homos? Yeah, well, no, no. During the week, they're completely normal. But on weekends, they dress up like Hell's Angels and listen to a lot of Judy Garland records. That's it? And they beat the shit out of people who offend them. You mean no decorated children? No. Well, and their leader is, in particular, after the uh, Smothers Brother. Yeah, he's trying uh, to get to Spike. A skull is the leader of the Weekend Freaks. Skull. So I don't think it's clear what exactly he's planning to do when he gets to Spike. Yeah, because they even make the point here. They're like, "Oh, so Spike is gay." I was curious, and he's like, "No, no, no, no. he's not. He's not gay." And then they're like, "Oh, that's even funnier." And so it's is like, this another like funny. attempted rape thing? Yeah. Is this another yeah. funny rape joke? It's another hilarious rape joke. And uh, we move to the reception at Sam and um, Angela's place. And there's a bunch of people sitting out on the patio behind the house. Joni's talking to her boyfriend, Spencer, who's been flirting with the other adult women at this party when Jim enters. And I guess he's like a friend of theirs, but he recently joined the Church of the Oriental Harmony. And he's trying to tell them about this cult that he got roped into. But they don't seem interested at this point. But he says, oh, you know, come on down and talk to me anytime. Um, Angela tells Sam to get in the hot tub because nobody's using it and she spent all this money on it and he doesn't have any interest in using the hot tub in the middle of a party where no one is using it until Carol gets into it and then he's like okay fine I'll get in the hot tub and she's like no I need you to help me with the hors d'oeuvres well she doesn't just get into it she strips down like to her underwear and just jumps on in yeah and then Sam just makes it sound like oh okay you finally broke me I'll get in like he's still doing it reluctantly that's basically it for this reception scene. We move back to uh, Harvey and Kate getting back to the house at night. And we hear Harvey say, 8.30, I wonder if Bill and Martha are still married. And Kate says, do you care? And he says, no, I just wonder. They realize that there's a lot of cars in their yard and there's a lot of people in their house. And it turns out that uh, their daughter, in addition to being at the wedding reception yeah. that they just left, is also hosting a party in their home. Yeah, that was weird. Um, and Spencer's there too somehow very quickly. It's like she didn't care that they were going to be at the party. Like it wasn't like she was trying to hide it or anything. She probably left mm-hmm. around the same time they did from the reception to this party. Right. But uh, Harvey kicks everybody out. And uh, Kate is kind of on Joni's side of this conversation, even though Joni didn't say she wanted to have a party. It wasn't like he said, don't have a party. I, I don't think that's true. I, I think, I think you're being unfair with that. I think, that her mom was just trying to be like, hey, let's not freak out on her. Let's, like, have a conversation. And the dad's just like, nope, unacceptable. 
And so it wasn't that she was on her side of it. She was just like, okay, let's just chill out. Let's not freak out about this. Yeah, but she didn't ask to have a party, a house party. I think that's fair that you kick everybody out if someone has a house party in your home without asking about it. Like that wasn't the conversation over breakfast, which it should have been. Instead of saying, can I use a van? It should have been like, can I have a house party? And then he said, no. And that would have validated this scene because it's like she just did it anyway and it made sense. But here it's like, we don't know if she even asked to have this party. And the mom says, well, you can't just kick everybody out. You're going to ruin her social standing because she, all of her friends got thrown out of her house party. And she she goes into another string of like psychologist terms for her her social standing basically over and over again. You know what you've just done to her peer group dynamic? Her what? Her socialization, her individuation, not to mention the father-daughter interface. But it definitely felt like she was mad at Harvey for being upset that there were kids in the house. Oh, she was definitely mad. I don't know if she was mad at him for that. I think it was more like, hey, let's not freak out. Like, we can take care of this in a civilized way. Sure. But by chewing Joni out in front of her friends, he ruined her peer group dynamic and then the comment that she says here she ends with her father-daughter interface yeah which leads to the the hardest missed joke of the entire movie when in response to that he says what are you talking about what is interface a new word for oral sex because the joke is supposed to be that interface sounds like in her face Mm -hmm. but you're talking about father-daughter interface yeah so the joke is just it already wasn't funny, and then it just turns super sour. Yeah. And then I, he moves out. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, yeah, the, Joni leaves and Harvey leaves, so basically Kate has the house to herself. But yeah, Kate throws him out, and uh, in therapy, Leonard is sitting with Kate and just repeats everything she says. Uh, oh, he, he doesn't respect me. You're right, he doesn't respect you. I can't deal with all this right now. You, you can't deal with all this right now. And then she says, oh, and... On top of all of our money problems. And he says, money problems? What are you, what are you talking about money problems? Because that's the only thing that he cares about is their money. Mm-hmm. Joni goes and checks out the cult. Right. And uh, that, you know, she feels like it's the thing that she's missing because they all they do is say, I love you. Yeah. Over and over again. Harvey interviews for a new job. Oh. Because he got, because yeah. he got thrown out, he decides he needs more money to survive because he's not sharing a house with his wife anymore. So he interviews with Luckman, played by Christopher Lee. And uh, Christopher Lee basically tells him, uh, oh, I noticed in your paperwork you're making uh, 52000 a year. That's pretty impressive. And he says, no, 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 that's, that's what I think I should be making. That's not what I'm making right now. And he's like, oh, uh, what are you making at Wells Fargo? And he says like 32000 or something like that, which according to, of, of the time, their standard was if you're making less than your age, then you're a loser. Mm-hmm. And because he's older than 32 and he's only making $32,000, then he is a loser. 32000 uh, in San Francisco in 1980 still actually sounds kind of low, but... Yeah, no, just, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then Joni goes to visit the, the Church of Oriental Harmony. But <laughs> and then we have this magnificent scene on the docks. I, 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 they don't talk about anything. Nothing happens. Yeah, they, they just get day drunk again. Yeah. You know what? I just want to experience me, relate to me, just be me. You gotta be you. Cause you're you, and you gotta be. If you're not gonna be you, who is gonna be you, right? Right? This is the point where I was starting to boil over for this movie. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, 
none of these scenes have anything happening. Did he get the job in the last scene? Did he not get the job? What is happening? Nothing... I feel like Sally Kellerman plays this character a lot um, in different movies. Uh, this is this is closer to her hot lips or her back to school character, not as much the, yeah. the mom from Foxes. Well, this is like her second half of the hot lips character, right. not yeah. the first half of the hot lips character. But she's like, our children are through us, not of us. No shoulds and no oughts. And she's like, you know what? I need I need I need to find out, I get more in touch with myself and figure out who I am because they're both sloshed at like two p.m. And uh, she says, you're giving me a woman who knows what she wants. Because she knows where she's been. <laughs> They're just not making any sense back and forth. But I, I think the whole the whole joke, the hilarious joke of the scene is like female empowerment is just girls getting drunk together and saying meaningless things back and forth. Hilarious. Yeah. Back on the Harbor Emperor, Harvey uh, hits on his new secretary. Uh, he hired the woman who uh, was unqualified for the job. I, I like I did like that one line though when she's she's about to leave his office and she's like Oh, well, uh, good luck with your secretary. And then he says, You know, Stella, I seldom speak more than 40 words a minute. <laughs> she can't type very fast, but it doesn't matter because he speaks slowly. But um, now that he's broken up with his wife, he's like, Oh, well, I'm free to hit on this secretary uh, overtly, aside from just hiring her for her boobs in the first place. Mm-hmm. And she says, Well, no. She, she would prefer that he was married because then there'd be no commitment. Right, yes. Um so to test him, she invites him to an orgy, and he takes a second to respond and chugs a big glass of liquor because they're serving alcohol on this boat. Um, and then he says, "My favorite line in the whole movie," and she says, "So are you gonna are you gonna be there?" And he says, "I'll come. In fact, I came when you invited me." <laughs> <laughs> He's very flustered and like talks over the line after that, but it made me laugh pretty hard. <laughs> There, I noticed also in this scene there's a helicopter in the background that I think is probably the helicopter getting the wide shots of the boat for this movie. Mm. We move to a scene where Leonard, the psychiatrist, and Stokely are playing Clue, uh, which is funny to me because Martin Mull played Colonel Mustard yeah. in the movie Clue. Uh, or Will. Yeah, Will, after this film. And uh, here Leonard is falsely accusing Colonel Mustard of having committed the crime. Uh, he gets it wrong and Stokely says, Oh no, you're wrong, so you lose. And he's like, well, no, hold on. It's, you know, that's, no, there's no losing and winning. We're just playing a game and we're all enjoying life. I wasn't wrong. I was mistaken. Yeah. Which is what, it's just a synonym, but he's pretending that it means a different thing. And then we get into this nice little conversation about the doll, Gay Bruce. Yeah. Um, Basically, the reason that Stokely is here with Leonard now is because Martha's worried that, uh, that Stokely hates gay people and she doesn't know why and when the psychologist is talking to him he says oh what happened to gay bruce i gave you a doll called gay bruce and it's going to help you like gay people more Mm -hmm. and he says oh i killed him because he was gay no that's not what he says right that's the (laughs) podcast safe version of what he says (laughs) he he uses a term and uh yeah uh so Okay, so is the point of this scene that it's just hilarious that the psychiatrist and the mother think it's wrong to hate gay people? Like, is, is it really funny that, like, we're trying to fix the kid who's hating gay people? I don't understand. What I was hoping would happen is that the rest of this movie would be, like, dumb jokes until the last scene where it turns out Stokely actually murdered a gay person. And it gets super dark all of a sudden. But instead, it's just played as a one-time joke and we never hear from this character again for the whole rest of the movie nope um i mean stokely's in it a little bit but like 
he there's there's no furthering of this particular yep. string of the plot it never comes back um it's just supposed to be like oh because he lives in san francisco that makes sense he probably hates gay people because they're all over the place over there how could anyone stand them and uh and then he dumps hot coffee in the psychologist's lap uh and it's like still steaming yeah so I don't but know he doesn't react to it yeah uh it's probably the cocaine <laughs> oh yeah there you go he's high on the cocaine so he doesn't feel anything uh it's funny too because so gay bruce was the name of the doll which bruce was at the time a very stereotypical gay name like so stereotypical that bruce banner couldn't be called bruce banner on the show because they were like that's too gay let's change his name so that's why the character's named david banner on the tv show oh <laughs> and uh it's funny to listen to interviews with stan lee because he's like what are you talking about? Bruce is a totally masculine name. What about Bruce Jenner? Look at that guy. <laughs> like literally he calls out Bruce Jenner as an example of a very masculine Bruce. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why this character's name was Bruce probably. Um, Harvey is at a grocery store where he's being lectured by a cashier for buying things that are killing him. And the whole time uh, she's giving him this lecture, you see the manager over her shoulder like, ah, she's doing it again. And... Uh, I, I did like the line here. She says, are you going to put this in your one and only body? And he says, I have a spare. Like, no, no, no. I'm not I'm not putting this in my only body. I feel like Martin Mull has a lot of really great lines. Right. But uh, this will get into, into it later when, again, when I, when I messaged you, I'm totally wrong. This movie is a horror film. Yeah. Where you, you come to realize that he is, I guess, the protagonist but he's also the only one who realizes that something's wrong with the world. Yeah. But no one else has a problem with it and no one else wants to change it. Yeah. All of his punchlines are like fourth wall breaking. Just like, uh, what a dumb question she just asked me. Did you hear that? Yeah. I'm going to throw this in her face, even though she's clearly not listening to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't react to anything he says. But yeah, after a, a few more uh, instances of her picking out different things that he bought and telling him that he that they're going to kill him, the manager comes over and fires her on the spot. Well, and you know, nothing's more attractive to a man than a woman telling him why he shouldn't be eating terrible foods. Right. So naturally, he follows her out into the parking lot with just an onion. The only thing that she said wasn't terrible from what he was buying. But it wasn't organic. Right. He's basically hitting on her and says, you know, maybe I could take you out for coffee or something like that. And she says, or we could just go back to your house and have sex. Well, because she wouldn't possibly drink coffee. Mm -hmm. Right. It's terrible for you. Um, uh, Kate takes Elton John which is the name of their dog to a dog groomer named Paco who's an artist from Argentina um, but he can't get into galleries in America because galleries are controlled by the mafia which is kind of true it's played as a joke here like he's giving an excuse for why he can't get into galleries but galleries are largely mafia affiliated in America I was going to say the Louvre the famous mafia the Louvre that's that's the thing though like all those paintings are super expensive because it's people laundering money through paintings they're not actually worth that much money i don't know if you knew that they're only worth the paint the cost of the paint uh, how much was paint back in the take day that famous oil painters listening to my <laughs> 80s podcast but over the course of their conversation kate and paco uh somehow agree to meet for wine at five o'clock she she does throw in his face at one point oh but i'm married and he says yeah i asked you if you wanted to have wine at five o'clock and and when he doesn't react like oh i'm so sorry never mind 
She says, oh, great, then, yeah. If you don't care that I'm married, then we'll have wine at 5 o'clock. And then we get the best line of the entire movie. <laughs> when he, yeah, when Paco he turns, turns around. He turns around because the dogs are all barking like crazy, and he says, Shut up, you sons of bitches. <laughs> At the dogs, and I think that's the best line of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the, the, I came when you asked me, but uh, that's a very close second. Uh, back on the ferry, Harv is bragging to Sam about how much cashier sex he's getting that they're having sex three or four times a day. Sam has heard through the grapevine that Joni joined that cult. I, I forget, we forgot to touch on that scene, but uh, after she leaves the house angry at both of them, she knocks on the door of the the cult of, or the Church of Oriental Harmony right. to talk to Jim, her friend there, and they bring her in and tell her they love her over and over again. Um, but now Sam says, oh, Joni is in that cult now. And so he decides that he needs to try to break her out of it already yeah so he he goes to get kate right yeah the the two of them they decide a united front is more likely to convince her to come home so he goes and he gets kate and he says she went to that church so let's go get her out they knock on the door and the guy that answers is mark l taylor the character actor um he's from honey i shrunk the kids in inner space um and uh basically they they don't want to let the parents in but they eventually do and they sit down with kate and or with uh they sit down with Joni and she says oh yeah um I'm, I'm not gonna go with you guys and uh everyone here loves me and you guys are constantly yelling at each other and you don't respect me and you don't listen to me and uh they're basically thrown out of this place and they have to leave Kate behind they can't bring her with them um when they get home there's like a weirdly serious scene between husband and wife in the parking lot or in a driveway mm-hmm. where they basically say he, he turns to her and he says she's a smart girl you know she's gonna she's gonna find her way out of this besides she hates purple but it's it's funny because the the wife says like oh but we have a negative family dynamic and anger and distrust and miscommunication and he says yeah and i'm not going to give that up without a fight and this is like the one real moment that we get between these two characters and mm-hmm. that goes right back into being a ridiculous satire for the whole rest yeah, of the thing. Because all of a sudden they're at a party. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, how did we trans- that he was invited How did to? we transition to this party? Yeah. So, well, b- before that, we do have a quick scene of Harvey at the office and he goes to the secretary and says, hey, so about that orgy, I'm going to have to take a rain check. <laughs> Well, I like the, uh, and I it's like, the day of the orgy. Yeah, I like the fact that yeah, because you're looking at the like the desk calendar and it's just got orgy written in like yeah. big black sharpie on the day. Yeah, the O of orgy is circling the fifteenth, which was the day of the orgy. But I don't know why they waited until the day of the orgy. Like it seems pointless from uh from the screenwriting standpoint. But he he breaks it off, and she's like, oh well, I knew you were gonna do this. And then they cut to a party, and that's why I thought, like, this was one of those, like, you're never going to get me to do it, you're never going to get me to do it, yeah. and they cut to him doing it, but this is just a separate party that's happening, it's not the orgy. Angela is dancing like Elaine from Seinfeld, just <laughs> completely wacky, uh, but everyone's just like, oh, she looks like she's doing great, uh, even though Sam is now dating the cashier. And he's grown like a crazy beard. Yeah, he grew a beard. When oh, he's not wearing a suit, and every other scene he's wearing a suit, and this one he's just wearing like a, a t-shirt and jeans. Yeah, but we're just getting a feel for all of these people having separated and like what their lives have turned into very quickly. Kate goes to get a haircut, um, and we get a quick shot of Elton John completely shorn clean, which was a joke that I predicted like 
10 scenes earlier that oh she's going to keep going back to Paco so much that the dog's not going to have any fur left Carol is with her and they're joking about their gay hairdresser here yeah and uh he is very like excitable and he leans forward to give her a kiss to greet her and she says I wish he wouldn't kiss me on the lips and then Carol says yeah you never know where they've been Mm-hmm. Which is just more like disgusting homophobia that takes place over the course of this entire movie. And uh, it turns out that as Kate is explaining to Carol more about her her new boyfriend, I guess, Paco. The, yeah, the dog groomer. It turns out that the hairdresser is Paco's lover. And he starts going crazy and chops all of her hair off as soon mm-hmm. as he realizes that they're talking about his boyfriend. But we never get a clear answer to if kate actually consummated the relationship she says she didn't here yeah she says no we've never had sex we just hang out and talk and everyone just assumed that that's what happened so it's like is he actually gay and he wasn't even hitting on her i don't know i don't know well because the hairdresser said like he never said he was bisexual or something yeah. like that and so I and don't... it's like i don't know if he is or not <laughs> yeah it's it's unclear if she's trying to cover it up and say oh we never did that please stop chopping my hair off or if they actually never did and everybody just assumed and she went along with it just to be like everybody else who's had these crazy relationships with younger attractive men yeah um marlene calls harv at his office to tell him that sam got fired and that Kate is dating Paco. Um, which makes it seem like it's still a relationship. Yeah. Even though it should have ended when she found out that he was involved with someone and got all of her <laughs> hair chopped off. When, when she found out that he was with her hairdresser. Right. So Harv remakes the orgy date in anger because of what happened. We cut to a bar where everyone's just naked in a bar. Mm-hmm. And there's like three stories to this building so there's a bar floor and then there's the downstairs is the orgy floor yeah which is just a, a pit of people yeah a pit of bodies and this is when you made the comment that you don't think that actual orgies are like they are in movies which I yeah it's pretty amazing like like, they're probably not this attractive not all <laughs> by skinny and large. attractive women just rolling around on the floor but yeah when he, he walks up to the bar and his secretary walks up next to him and he he orders a drink and the bartender tries to throw it down the bar for him, and he doesn't put his hand out to catch it or anything, and it just falls on the ground and breaks, and the bartender's like, first time, I'll bring it to you. Does that mean that this place just has orgies every night? I guess, yeah. So Carol spots... Yeah. Carol's at the orgy, and she spots Harvey. Well, yeah, once Harvey heads downstairs into the actual festivities, and he's like tiptoeing over a bunch of naked bodies to get to his secretary, that's when we pan across the room to Carol leaning up from a bunch of naked people and going oh harvey's here well at least she found a better outlet for what she wants than you know trying to rape uh bag boys yes mm-hmm. that's true kate moves into this weird shared building uh care place yeah um the guy that uh greets her at the door is like oh i'm not gonna help you with your bags because that would be sexist so come on up um he feels like brett gelman and david cross had a baby yeah and uh Harvey sees Joni with her cult when he's waiting for the ferry the next day. And they try to get each other's attention, but then the cult kind of swarms around Joni and rushes her off so they can't see each other. And all that's left are the flowers that they've been selling. Yeah, And again, this is where I start to get like these weird yeah. horror vibes. You're like, oh um, God, what's happening to like, this kid? This, this movie is... Because from here, uh, he goes to try to talk to Kate... Right at the commune, not a commune, but it's like, it's like a 
place for like-minded people and they uh they're in the me- middle like of a meeting like yeah a, like a like a it's a like house a meeting. meeting yeah yeah and kate just walks away when harvey tries to talk to her and, and locks herself in her room and he's trying to talk to her through the door and then it just cuts away yeah and like I, I I was watching this and like groaning this whole time like my niece was in the other room. I go, that scene had no end. <laughs> that scene did not end. It just stopped. Uh, it's just where you can tell where each uh, section of this uh, column ended when it was still in newspaper form. And that was the end of that one. Uh, Harvey talks to Sam on the Harbor oh Emperor God. and he's just super, super depressed. His beard is gone. Um, he's broken it off with Marlene, and uh, he's on he, Quaaludes. Yeah, he's Leonard, back in his suit again. He's yeah, no longer a hippie. He's, he's in the suit. He's on his way to work. Leonard gave him a bunch of Quaaludes uh, to calm him down. And Bill is also on the boat, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Sam looks like he's doing so much better." And he's like, "Better? Are you kidding? Have you seen?" And he gestures to where Sam was just standing, and there's just his bag is on the boat, <sighs> and he clearly just jumped over the side. We cut immediately to Sam's funeral. Because he has successfully committed suicide by jumping off of this ferry. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't quite understand how somebody commits suicide by jumping off of a ferry. Well, I well, guess you drown. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you not can't... everybody can swim. I, I guess, I, I guess that's the assumption. But it's a slow-moving boat, like... right? But he's also on a bunch of quaaludes. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, he, he probably didn't even try to swim; he just sank like a stone. Yeah. Um, but we have a, a funeral that's being overseen by a, like a Native American doing a chant. Yeah, they're doing like a drum circle. And uh, everybody's acting like this is just par for the course until Harvey loses his patience with the ceremony and reminds everyone that it was a suicide because they're acting like it was an accident. Yeah. Well, and not only was, was it a suicide, but Sam would hate all of this. Like right. Sam was not on board with all of the hippy dippy stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they're all acting like, "Oh no, well, it's a terrible accident that happened, but he had a good life." And it's like he's like, "Sam probably loved Angela. He probably <laughs> loved his wife. He probably loved Marlene too." And she starts crying. Um, but everyone thinks that he's the crazy one, right? And this is what's so troubling with this movie for me. But even as Harvey is like lecturing them all, like Leonard is literally in that moment trying to hand him quaaludes. Like, yeah, take this; that will fix you. And it's he, like you murdered this guy. He is You're a, a murderer. They, they make such light of like mental health and mental health issues. Yeah, uh, too much of it is played as a punchline. And it's like, these are real things that are happening. It's it's actually worse now than it was when yeah. this movie came out. Like, we didn't have the opioid crisis that were just killing all of these people. But the, the bikers end up showing up. The weekend freaks arrive. Mm-hmm. Again, and, once again, after Spike. Yes. And they, they, yeah, because they invited Spike to this ceremony. Um, he drew Skull and the boys out. And uh, they interrupt the funeral. And uh, in a scuffle... Skull's helmet is knocked off to reveal that it's Luckman, the guy that Harv had interviewed with mm-hmm. for the job. That's basically the end of that scene. Yeah. Is when they reveal that it's Luckman there. And yeah. He's like, oh, hello, Harvey. Yeah. Like uh, Christopher Lee says, I can explain all of this. Like, yeah. Um, and then Harvey's waking up in bed because Leonard gave him some pills to knock him out. Well, I mm-hmm. think he injected him with something. Or yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. that was I think it. he put a sedative in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, Stokely is in the room with him. And is asking him questions about what happened and how he's doing, if he's feeling better. And uh, he says, basically what the point that you've been making, he, he spells it out and says, In an insane society, the same man must appear insane. And he's like, oh, that's, that's a really great line. Where'd you hear that? And he's like, it's from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And he's like, 
Oh, man, I miss that show because this is like before the next generation, but yeah. after the three years of the so, original series. So the punk kid has the has the words of wisdom here. Yes, probably because he is constantly seeing a psychiatrist, and he's that's so good for him. It's great that he's probably on Quaaludes too. It's not at all a crime. We get a scene of uh, Joni wanting to leave the cult. Yes. But they lock her in a room. They won't let her out. Yeah, but they, they try to make it sound passive. They're like, mm-hmm. why don't you wait in here and we'll come and lock you out when you've changed your mind. Or when you've come to your senses or whatever. Uh, Harvey goes to Luckman's office and basically holds him hostage for that job he wanted. It's not clear why he needs this job, really. I really need this job. <laughs> no? All right. No. No figures. Nope. Um, but I, I do like. Uh, <laughs> you don't care to explain it. <laughs> no, it's fine. I like it. I like it better. It's from a chorus line. Oh. You uncultured Which one? swines. <laughs> Which chorus line? Uh, but but again, Harvey is blackmailing him. But he but he's calling him like, oh well, what, what would happen if everyone found out you were gay? You know. Uh, yeah, and, and, and you were like, in an F word bicycle gang. Yeah. And uh, I, I do like the line that, that he says, like, here, I was so embarrassed coming to you asking for a job, and you go right off on bikes with with all your pansy friends and, and attack people. And he's like, our men are not pansies. We have terrorized entire communities. We are tough dudes, Holroyd. <laughs> Which is just a great line read for Christopher Lee. But uh, he basically says, I'm going to tell everyone what's going on unless you give me this job. And he says, also, you're going to help me out this weekend because I need a favor. Martha tells Kate that they should have a party for reuniting because apparently Harvey and Kate have made nice and are back together as a couple. We don't see any of that happen, but apparently they're back together. And Harvey wants to get on board with all the new age. Yeah, he's really excited to do another like dumb hippie wedding. Um, And I don't like that he's excited about it for, Mm -hmm. for a reason that we'll get to later. But... uh, the weekend freaks meet with Harvey at the YMCA because that's where because that's where meet, gay obviously yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and uh, they all get on their bikes and ride as Freddie would say Freddie Mercury would say Freddie Mercury lead singer of Queen would say get on your bikes and ride oh my gosh stop <laughs> <laughs> they go to the house this big purple house where the cult is and he knocks on the door and says hey i want my daughter back and they're like oh yeah your daughter said she never wants to see you again bye and he's like all right well we're coming in so get ready and they start animal housing this place they just start driving their bikes up the stairs and through walls and punching holes in everything yeah luckman's like is this one her no is this one her (laughs) they're all wearing purple jumpsuits and yeah he's never seen this woman in his life and uh, when Harvey makes it up to the room that she was locked in, she's tearing her sheets to tie them together so that she can climb out the window. And he's like, you're coming with me. And she's like, why do you think I'm tearing these sheets? I, I was trying to escape anyway. And he's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to argue with you anymore. You're coming with me and I'm going to be your father and you're going to be my daughter. and You're going to listen to everything I say. And she's like, God, Harv, you're so gross. Um, which I thought was actually kind of a funny line from her. That's just like, well, I, I love you even though you're a terrible person. It's fine. <laughs> Um, downstairs, one of the cult members tells Luckman that he's like, I love you because they say that to everybody all the time. Yeah. But Luckman's like, that's very easy to say, but can you prove it? <laughs> are you, <laughs> are you willing to prove it? Um, the gang shows up at this, uh, hippie. Well, it, well, it, well, they make their getaway from the house. Right. And Luckman's got that cult member 
Right, he brought his, him. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> he's going with him. Uh, he's given up on Spike. He's accepted the love of this random cult member. Um, and they show up at the ceremony. They they have that cult member. They have Joni. They have Harvey. And uh, the last scene here feels the most wrongheaded of the whole thing. Like, they say a lot of terrible stuff the whole time. But they completely defeat the point of the movie here. Mm-hmm. Um, because they they go and they have this ceremony. And even though it was Harvey's idea, and he's the one who brought everyone together to do this, like, he just starts shitting on the ceremony immediately. Yeah. And saying that the guy running it is an asshole, even though he's doing it as a favor to him. Well, it's not a favor because he, well, he, he's he, paying him. Yeah, because uh, Harvey's going to have the check, right? Right. But still, it's like, it's like, I specifically asked you to come out here and you could have said no, but mm-hmm. you're coming out here to do the ceremony for us. Well, I think it, I think ultimately this is more of the big goodbye like i'm yelling at you because we're leaving and we're never coming back you right. guys are all a-holes we're done with this whole life and goodbye yeah but the whole point of the movie seems to be like just have a traditional marriage that's like how this whole scene reads it's just like just be normal and get married and say the things that people say at a wedding when they get married and don't be different than anyone else don't be gay yeah don't be gay don't be uh, don't celebrate free love. Don't yep. don't respect the freedoms of your partner. Just get married and do everything that your partner says to do until you both die. Because that's what weddings are. And it's really gross and terrible. And mm-hmm. it, it feels like that's supposed to be like the conclusion of the movie. Like, here's the point we've been trying to make the whole time. And it's like, that's a terrible point. If that's yeah. the point you were yeah. making. The it's point you were making is point. that, like, don't respect people's freedoms. And, uh, okay. And that's basically the end of the film. He he says they're moving to Denver, and they they try to start into the same stuff with Kate saying, "Isn't there an institute for humanistic studies there?" And he says, "I hope not, because it's going to turn into like she finds some like hippy dippy stuff to do there, and yeah. he's angry about it." Um, and that's the end of the movie. It's so, a changing world. So, do we want to talk about our art alternate titles for this movie? Because yeah, Serial is obviously a garbage title. Well, yeah. I... Why is it called Serial, though? Because I have no clue. The book was called Serial. Okay, why was the book called Serial? Well, it's called Serial, like uh, something... A Year in the Life of Marin County or something. Yeah, like... Marin County. Oh, like it's an actual Serial publication. Right. That has nothing to do with this movie. It doesn't even have anything to do with the book, because the book was a book, not a series of articles. Yeah. Like, it makes sense to call the column Serial. Maybe, but you could call every column serial by the same logic. <laughs> mm. So the book should have just been called A Year in the Life of Marin County. Yeah. And the movie should have been called Marin. Marin or like, A Year yeah. in the Life of Marin County or something like that. But uh, we've we've Richard asked us to bring alternate titles for the movie. Um, I mean, did you my, want to start us yeah, off? I mean, like, like my joke title was ADR the movie. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> because I was like, I don't think Martin Mull is saying any of his lines in the scenes. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. almost everybody is is completely dubbed over for the whole movie. We should mention that in addition to not being super capably written, it was also not capably shot. Yeah. Uh, it was very sloppy all over the place. And we've complained about the editing enough over the course of this podcast that they just jump from scene to scene randomly and seem You can't edit focus. something written like this. Yeah. There was no saving it. Uh, but that was just like San Francisco, the movie. Yeah. Like it, it's just playing on all of these stereotypes of San Francisco. And uh, it just, I. Also coming from our perspective in the future, these mm-hmm. jokes have been done to death a hundred thousand yeah. times. So that hurts the movie a lot too. Cause maybe they were fresh jokes at the time. 
God, Maybe this I is the not. first time some of these jokes were made. Maybe everyone pretended they liked granola until this movie premiered. <laughs> <laughs> this is the movie that killed the granola market. Yeah. What do you? What did you have? Uh, well, I thought it needed something to go along with that jaunty tune at the beginning, so I would have called it "It's a Changing World." <laughs> that was one of my options. A changing world. Yeah. My 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 alternative title was just called uh, "Damn Yuppies." That, that's that's I like it. more yeah. to the point of <laughs> the film. Great. Uh, another title that I had was "Last Married Couple 2. because <laughs> it's basically the same dumb. Is it, is it the number it. two or is it T-O-O? T-O-O, of course. No, just T-O. <laughs> I went dumb and dumber with it because this movie's stupid. Um, it was directed by Bill Persky. This is a, Bill Persky. Bill Brasky. <laughs> it was directed by Bill Brasky. Uh, Bill Persky. This was his only feature. He wrote... Uh, Big surprise. Yeah, he, he wrote for Dick Van Dyke and he directed a lot of television, but uh, I'm not surprised he didn't. But yeah, this. see, like I was looking at his credits, so it's just like, oh yeah, he wrote all this old timey comedian stuff. Right. And I don't mean like old timey, I guess. I, like Elderly, but, you're saying. Yeah, like, but it was a whole different era. The Mel Brooks, the Sid Caesar show. Right. The, and even like, Dick Van Dyke, like, like, that stuff wasn't. Like it, w- it was really funny. It's even funny to rewatch now, but it it only makes sense in that time period. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense now. Um, the writers of this film are Rich Eustace and Michael Elias. Uh, Rich Eustace is somehow an uncredited screenwriter of Back to School, which also has Sally Kellerman. I couldn't figure out why he was uncredited. If that meant that he just was a ghostwriter on it, like he just came and punched it up or what. It might also be a mistake because he co-created a show called Head of the Class. And there was an episode of that show called Back to School that he wrote. So I don't know if maybe someone was trying to add that to his IMDb and accidentally put the movie back to school. Mm. Um, But he also wrote an episode of Scrubs, apparently. Yeah, I was like, that's like so far later. Yeah. And Michael Elias uh, co-wrote The Jerk with Carl Gottlieb who we discussed earlier having written jaws yeah but also the frisco kid right yeah and uh he yeah frisco kid with gene wilder and harrison ford which i actually haven't seen that movie it's okay yeah it's exactly what you think like i feel like the fact that gene wilder and harrison ford made a movie together that i haven't seen is all the review i need yeah (laughs) like no one's mentioned it to me it was like you should check this one out it's set up like a joke like a cowboy and a rabbi right yeah go yeah that was their premise, but they were like, we're going to write a movie this weekend, guys. Here's the pitch. Um, Martin Mull was Harvey. Uh, obviously, we already mentioned he was Colonel Mustard in Clue. Uh, he's Leon Carp on Roseanne, yeah. uh, which is a great role from him. Um, significantly less homophobic in that I believe he was gay on the show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's also Gene Parmesan on Arrested <laughs> Development. <laughs> another, another classic <laughs> character. He was present-day Doug Kenny in A Futile and Stupid Gesture, mm. uh, which is a great movie. You can check it out on Netflix. Um, and his daughter, Maggie Mull, is also a very talented and funny screenwriter. Um, she wrote for his TV show, Dads, that it was uh, Seth Green and somebody were on the show. I forget now who the cast was. But Martin Mull played one of their dads, and she's funny. I The tweet I always think of, because she has a really funny Twitter account, was um, she was buying a, a pack of condoms, and uh, the person at the liquor store was like oh do you want a bag for these and she's like no i'm just gonna eat them on the way home (laughs) (laughs) the joke always makes me laugh (laughs) um uh tuesday weld played kate she was carol in once upon a time in america not a lot of other stuff that i recognize yeah um uh, sally kellerman we obviously had in foxes as jodie foster's mother and in mash 
as uh, Hot Lips Houlihan, uh, and she will be in the future and back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. Um, potentially written by one of the people from this, but who knows? <laughs> uh, Peter Boners was Leonard. Uh, great name. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you name your kid, well, no, when your last name is Boners, yeah, and you're gotta name your child, you have to go with Peter. Or, or we could go with Richard, yeah. you know, so that he could be Dick Boners. <laughs> Dick Boners. That'd be a great name. Unless, unless like, we're, we're totally, he actually prefers his Bonaire. Yeah, his Bonaire's. older brother is named Richard, so they couldn't use that. Because his parents are just sadists. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's actually a big time TV director. He did a bunch of stuff. Murphy Brown, Bob Newhart, Friends, Home Improvement, like well into the 90s. Um, and he looks so familiar to me. But when I was going through his acting credits, there's really not much there. Mm-hmm. He uh, he had the Dabney Coleman role on the Nine to Five TV series, uh, and he was also the producer of Taxi, not in real life, but in the movie Man on the Moon, which features scenes <laughs> on the set of Taxi. Uh, he was also a tech advisor on the film because he talked to them about how sitcoms are shot and stuff like mm-hmm. that for when they were shooting. Um, Christopher Lee here as uh, Luckman Skull. Yeah. Uh, obviously, people know him as the voice of Saruman from Lego The Hobbit, the video game. <laughs> Um, that's really, that's the only credit I recognized him from. Apparently, he's done other stuff. Apparently. Apparently. No, he has like 600 credits on IMDb Yeah, he's like amazing. That. Probably more. Uh, people know him as Dracula in 100 Hammer films. Um, Sender in The Stupids. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's honestly probably my favorite role of his. Where, uh, the, the joke is that Tom Arnold sees return to sender and he's like who is the sender person stealing everyone's mail and they cut to christopher lee is just like this like satanic creature in this this like underworld with flames and, and like throwing like, people's mail <laughs> throwing into the flames yeah he's just like uh if you still love me tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree oh the only thing that will be hanging from that tree is you and he throws it in the fire <laughs> so great um the stupids check it out it's John Landis' second best movie of all time. Maybe third. Uh, Tom Smothers, obviously, was Spike. He's half of the Smothers Brothers. And he's also Don Beeman in Get to Know Your Rabbit, a movie I always think of when I think of him. They used to play the trailer of the New Beverly all the time. But it's uh, it's just a comedy about a guy who like throws his life away and decides he wants to be a magician. And It looks super funny. I haven't watched it yet. So uh, I'll have to uh, get back to you guys on that. Um, is this worth watching, Jess? No. Richard? No. Yeah, I think that's a that's a threefer on this one. Um, Letterboxd rank. It's low. Uh, I already know where. Should, oh my where gosh, yeah. Go. Well, yeah. that's, that's well, exciting. We have a new number two spot from the bottom. From the bottom. <laughs> wow, you so, really hated Caligula. Is that, <laughs> is that still at the bottom? Still on the bottom. Wow. Uh, so Forbidden Zone gets knocked up a bunch uh, by knocked one. Up. <laughs> Caligula does not get knocked up. <laughs> Oddly enough, even though there were a live birth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Several live births on set. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, my new number two spot. Okay, number two from the bottom for Richard. Uh, so this does not surpass the windows threshold, so it's down there near the bottom. I would put it... Uh... Oh, actually... I agree with Richard. This is second to the bottom on my list. It is between Caligula and a small circle of friends. Well, it's going to be third from the bottom of my list, um, which is still 
below Caligula. Uh, for me, that's above Nothing Personal and Defiance. Those are the only two movies that I put below this. Um, and it's right below Fatso. Because I actually uh, enjoyed Fatso the story. <laughs> I, did, I didn't like the writing or the filmmaking. Well, Fatso had a story. This yeah, movie has true. nothing. That's true. <laughs> I think that's everything for a serial. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can also find our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating the show on iTunes. It does help people find it. Uh, and if you leave us a review, we will thank you in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can always support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Tom Horn which IMDb describes as an ex-army scout is hired by ranchers to kill cattle wrestlers, but he gets into trouble with the corrupt local officials when he kills a boy. I don't think that's not accurate, accurate at all. Um, because, well, we'll get into that next time. How do you like that? Now you have to stay tuned to find out why that's inaccurate. We leave you now with the trailer for Tom Horn. In 1903, one of the last great American heroes alive was Tom Horn. During this time, a special breed of men evolved. Tom, see that the wrestling gets stopped. $200 for every wrestler that goes somewhere else to fly his trade. Rugged individuals who lived by a special code of honor. I tell you what, Horn, I'm gonna kill you. I'll just take it between us, it's who gets who first. There won't be no more cows stolen. Not from the Wood River Cattle Company, the Bar 3 Cattle Company, or the Haley Cattle Company. Consider that my last word in the matter. They became heroes. Man of the West, Indian tracker. They became legends. What was it like out in Indian territory? Lonely as hell. And then, they were gone. But when great heroes were no longer needed, Tom Horn would not go quietly. Steve McQueen is Tom Horn, who became a legend.